Is it surprising to you that the search term AI in education was half as popular in the U.S. in January of 2023 as it is now, about six months later? Probably not if you've been awake during any of it. It's been overwhelming at times to me, but I get it. Try and think of a word that if you replace AI before in education might generate as much intrigue. The only thing I could think of that beat it was the word equity. I think that's a good thing. If what's trending in Google search is a meaningful signal of anything, it would seem that while our interest in how AI will influence education has respiked since the availability of recent language models, our interest in how tools like ChatGPT influence subjects like math, for example, is still a bit niche for lay people. Or maybe my guest in this episode is right, that people worriedly searching up AI in education are not teachers at all. Dan's hypothesis is that teachers know better than to see what's trending right now as an existential threat to the work they do. Today's episode, no surprise, is about AI in education. But more specifically, we're talking to the guy I once designated without his permission, my new math therapist back in episode 76. Dan Meyer and I talk in this episode about AI's relationship to teaching math. Why math specifically? A few reasons off the top of my head. One is that I love talking with brilliant colleagues who care deeply about their specialty and how new innovation applies there. Dan is one of those. But also because I think that for me, the healthiest thing right now is to stop talking about AI in education the same way I think we should stop talking about video games in the home generalizing about topics in this way makes for compelling morning talk show segments, but isn't great for making meaning. If your goal goes beyond typical binary narrative, is this good or bad? To something that helps us progress in our understanding, our practice, and our dialogue. Have you ever heard the news credo, if it bleeds, it leads? Don't mistake me. I'm not implying that AI is only tech news's equivalent of a gory tabloid, though it depends on the source. I'm saying that whether you're a parent, an academic, a classroom teacher, whatever flavor of interest you have in learners' lives, the stakes are too high to try and generalize on topics of consequence. I hope you have as much fun as I did with my guest Dan Meyer. As always, if you want to support the show, your greatest contribution is a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. Doing so helps learners like you and me to find the content we care about. As always, thanks. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. I am really excited to talk to you. I will say a couple of things that I've been thinking about. One is um, not very often do I take a moment to... Uh, explain the title of the show and um, I get asked about it from time to time but it's usually not over recording but this feels like a particularly perfect episode to explain the title of the show because I think I'm motivated to do so because I've been reading a lot of Dan Meyer in the last uh, week as I knew we were going to talk and it felt like the theme of a lot of your writing has a lot to do with the title of the show. Uh, so the show is no such thing. And it actually came out of a paper that I read in graduate school by Richard E. Clark, who is still around and uh, a, uh, 
a notable psychologist uh, who does a lot of developmental work and thinking, I mean, as far back as uh, the 80s, 70s, 80s, um, researching the effects of media and technology on young people. And no such thing actually comes out of this analogy that he once drew in one of his papers where he said that uh, technology would, would know more uh, deliver education than an ice cream truck delivers nutrition to young people. And so the idea of no such thing started out of this idea that um, innovation exists in the space of education, but technology is not a panacea. And where we can have thoughtful dialogue that really roots out signal from noise is where we'll start to find progress. And I, I see that in your writing all the time. And it's one of the reasons I keep coming back to the well uh, with my uh, math therapist, which is how I titled our first episode together, because I think we have a lot in common if I'm judging your philosophy from your writing and, and guessing that my interpretation is right. Um, does that sound right to you? Do we, do we sound like we're on the same page? I think I think similar. I think this could be a, a hype-free zone, a zone of sobriety in thinking about new yeah. technology. Like you and I are not technophobic. Like I work for an ed tech startup. Yes. Um, pre- first Desmos and now Amplify. Yes. Um, I'm I, I consider myself fairly skilled with new technologies. Yeah. Um, and I also have a deep respect and I think a, a pretty good understanding at this point of the work that teachers do, the work that schools do, the work of classrooms. And I think that, yeah, I, I love the metaphor um, from Clark. And just to think think about like, like, like where do people go to get nutrition? Like what are the ways that they want to get nutrition? And it is right. not via an ice cream truck always. Um, and in the same way to wonder, like, what are we doing in schools? What is the point of a school for a student? And how can technology step into that desire path and make it smoother and straighter and, and better paved rather than saying, you know, we have this new technology that is indeed very exciting. How can we ask one of the oldest and biggest professions to reconfigure itself and its priorities to meet, you know, the abilities of this new technology. Yeah, I think beautifully said. And I usually surprise myself as as somebody who has had the word technology in their job title for a long time. I often surprise myself as the person in the room who is most frequently saying no to uh, shiny objects as it relates to technology solutions in education. But I I think that that comes because of, um, as you put it, uh, in some of your writing and and started to put it just now, there needs to be mutual respect between technologists and educators. And I think that oftentimes we miss a lot of the relevant constraints, contexts, elements that make technology successful as a support for great learning um, because we really want to see a panacea. We want to see something that's just right. going to like change everything. Uh, yeah. I have so much to say about that. Can I just hop on a couple points, points there real Please. quick? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. So I, I, I don't think that there is a mutual respect between like the AI technologists and educators. Like, I don't think that exists. And I, I'm not really asking for it anymore. Like I've seen how, I think that like 
teaching historically has been a female dominated profession. So there is some like latent sexism in how many people regard that work mm. as underskilled, as feminized. Um, there is this sense from a lot of technologists that this is like that the teachers are not necessary to the process of learning. Many of them have like been very successful at self-teaching, at, at using resources independent of a teacher and perhaps assume that that is the way it could be or even should be for all students. Yeah. There is there is not a mutual respect. And I, I, at one point in my career, really fought hard and wanted there to be mutual respect. Like back when I think, you know, videos of lectures were becoming very hot and very big with the rise mm. of YouTube. I was like, I, I felt, you know, a sense of agreement and anger. Like, why don't you respect how teaching is more than just delivering content in a linear fashion? At this point, I feel a little differently. Um, I have come to realize through doing work with technology in schools, I've realized what a huge system it is in, in which students learn things. And AI technologists disrespect that system, not with any uh, any problem from me, but just at their own peril. Like it's just their their work will not work in schools is kind of the, the I have a sense of, a little bit of resignation now. Like I'd love mm -hmm. to help anyone who has ears to listen, uh, like understand what schools are and how new technology needs to understand that if it will have any impact. Um, but I don't feel like a sense of like, why don't you respect this work of teaching? It's like, yeah, this work is way bigger than mm -hmm. the technology that you're trying to develop right now. And you've, you've got, if you want it to be successful, you got to learn about it. Mm. I think what you just said is very thought-provoking. For me... I think you put your finger on a on a sore that is related to um, not a sore but like a fear. So I think I think I've always had a fear that if we don't educate each other, that because the technology has in a respect more power, right? More commercial power, more financial power, that one has the ability to influence the other in an outscaled, outsized way, right? So I think I've always feared that if we don't educate technologists, at least the ones who are working in the space, and get them to a place where there is mutual respect, that we run the risk of having outsized influence in our schools and classrooms. And the way you just said what you said makes me question whether that fear is warranted. It's a, an institution yes. that's been around a lot longer than the technology. So, so maybe I'm not giving enough credit to the power of the educator and, and the system. I think that, I think that's, that's dead on. I think I, I do have the same fear. It's just, it's so much less than it used to be. Like I, I, I wish that we were on the same page that learning is a social endeavor, hmm. that students are going to classes, not just to learn a, a content of a class, but about themselves and about the world they live in. I wish we were on the same page about what teachers and the humans in the room, what they do. Hmm. Um, but if we are not, I know that the work of education has endured for so long. I know now what I didn't then, that these promises about revolution have emerged with respect to every new technology, the printed book, radio, TV, mm -hmm. movies, DVD, every new technology accompanies the same ecosystem of people who try to get investment from richer people to build things, to extract 
The money that schools and districts pay to teacher salaries, which is a huge part, 80% of like what we, we invest in education, to extract that for shareholder returns. That is just a process that has been consistent you know, for hundreds of years, basically. And it does have a distraction. It's distraction. It does yes. involve, you know, there, there's a huge media hype around it. You know, we know which people get the magazine profiles, the, you know, the TED Talks, the all the glowing coverage. And but it, who has the impact on classes? What do teachers need? That's a very different question. One that I feel more confident than ever. Just stay. I'm, I would love to stay in my lane and not invest extra angst or effort in trying to extract mutual respect from these folks who have other priorities in mind. Yeah. But Dan, don't you remember when LaserDisc took over the schools? It was there was a moment there where we were popping <laughs> in these huge laser discs, these platter like objects, and everyone learned better. And I don't know what, what happened to that world, but I wish we could go back to it. Oh man. If only um we had followed the way of one laser disc per child, you know, that that would have solved things. So so let's let's dive into AI. I've been dying to talk to you about this in part because I've been really reluctant for all the reasons you might glean from the first part of our conversation. Um, I've been reluctant to like dive into covering AI and education because I just find that there's so much noise and so much speculation and so little of it is founded in really thoughtful ideas and practice and understanding of the history of this space. And, and I hope it's I hope it's flattering to say um, you know I'm like you're the the N is one but I hope you're hearing this from other readers that um, I do subscribe to your to your newsletter and um, I'm gonna plug it at the end of the show and we're gonna we're gonna encourage everybody to subscribe um, but I've loved the way that you just said stay in your lane, which I think so often is perceived as like this derogatory, like, you know, stay out of my way kind of space. But I love that what you're talking about is staying focused on the things you care about. And the reason that I was motivated to reach out to you to talk a little bit about AI is because I see in your writing somebody who is really thoughtfully trying to look at both the affordances and the hype as it relates to your lane very specifically. And I love that. And, and it really, it was an answer to me to a question I've had for a while about how do I cover this? Like how, what do, what does my audience care in the context of learning in the digital age? What does my audience really care about? Um, how do we differentiate the no such thing audience from, you know, what you're hearing on every other uh, podcast and what you're reading in every other space. So, um, so in March, you started a series of posts on AI and I, I counted seven, but there might be, there's, I'm sure more reference to AI in the last year. Um, but I'm, I'm, I feel like we're going to, talk a lot about the sort of uh, AI hype, but before we get into what innovation is or isn't hype-worthy for math education, how are you feeling on the AI dialogue generally? Are you excited by it? Are you like me and slightly exhausted by it? Like, how are you feeling? 
Yeah, it's a mix. I want to just declare my priors here that I think this stuff is really cool. Like, I yeah. think it's really cool. Like, I, I've been on, you know, ChatGPT. I've used some of the, the the splinters. I've used Khan Academy's Conmigo. I think it's cool as hell, man. Like, I, I like no bones about yeah. it. Like, just sitting there trying things out. You know, I think the way it synthesizes a ton of different websites to produce something super cool. I've used, like, the Conmigo stuff as a teaching-based skin on it. Um, and some of that stuff, like I asked it to give me like an engaging lesson on a new content, a new concept. And it for sure gave me a better answer than I would have come up with as a year one teacher. So like, mm. I'm, I'm just, just generally like, wow, like I'm, I'm a nerd. So like I'm into it. Like I, from the, from a nerd based perspective, yeah. from a nerd POV, like I think it's, it's really interesting. Um, as far as the stuff that the, the education based dialogue goes, um, you know, like I find it a little bit uh, dreary at the moment. There's mm. a lot of like conversation around like, do we ban it or or do we not? That's mm. a huge portion of the dialogue. Yeah. And then there's other other parts of the dialogue that are really focused on like higher ed and, you know, what students are doing to write essays or um, to plagiarize or to support essay writing uh, or innovations that really assume a low bar of pedagogy. Like it talks like a lot of the innovations and the conversations at the at the at the, you know, higher ed level, assume a 500 person lecture hall where the pedagogical bar is so low and an innovation like chat GPT can actually come in and maybe do something fun there. Hmm. And then it comes to the, the world of K-12. And in K-12, that's where I see very few educators having much of an opinion here. There are some who are out there writing books but by and large, I've seen educators have very strong opinions about many other topics. Um, but this one, I read the silence as a sense that this tool is not going to shake their earth. Mm. And that matches my understanding of what the work of teaching and learning is and a sense of having developed technological tools to support that work. I share a similar sense that though this stuff is cool as hell, in other sectors, it will not have the transformative impact that a lot of proponents are claiming that it will. People claiming that it will be a, a provide a world-class tutor for all students or that it will revolutionize the work of teaching um, or even that it will obviate or replace the need for teachers. Mm. None of that will come to pass. I am on record as offering wagers of various sorts to try to get people to like go on the record. Like, what do you predict will happen here? Let's just bet on it for fun. No one's taking them. Um, and so that, that's where I, I find the, the dialogue fairly dreary. I'll say one more thing. I, I'm really grateful for the invitation to come on chat. I, I feel like I need to develop my skills as a communicator here. I appreciate mm. the kind of words on that communication. I just got a comment on one of my recent posts. Someone says, honestly, I still don't get why you have such a problem with AI and education. I'm sure you have a good point, but you aren't getting it across to someone who isn't an educator. I think that's probably true. That the technologists, the technologists have a vocabulary, the educators have a vocabulary, and a core challenge of the next 10 plus years will be figuring out how to how to how to bridge those two vocabularies. Mm. So I'm happy to chat with you and try out some ideas and see what lands. Yeah, all of us, right? We if we're serious about the work, and I'll I'll like air quotes the work, which I mean not to be um I just mean progress, right? If we're, if we're serious about the work, then we need to practice the dialogue. We need to practice with each other how these thoughts dovetail with one another. And so, um, so absolutely. And I'm, I'm anytime you want to work out ideas, you have a, you have a place to do that. Um, 
So, so here's what I did. I actually, I had the idea that like, maybe I'd start by, we'd have like a family feud game. And I started to ask chat GPT things, um, that I could have you like rate as factor fiction or, or, uh, so I couldn't get my stuff together. But what I did do is, um, I asked ChatGPT in a few different ways about the biggest noted unfounded claims was my was my uh, search about AI and education. And you touch on several of them in the recent writing that you've done. So here were ChatGPT's answers. Uh, and and ChatGPT um, elaborated for sure, but I'm going to give you the headlines. One was complete automation of teaching. Two is the universal AI tutor. This claim proposes that AI can act as a universal tutor capable of teaching any subject to any student. Three is bias-free assessments. This claim asserts that AI can eliminate bias in educational assessments completely. AI as a substitute for critical thinking. This claim suggests that AI can replace the need for students to develop critical thinking skills. And last, AI is a panacea for educational challenges. This claim assumes that AI can solve all educational challenges from low student performance to resource constraints. The last one, since it's obviously true that AI will solve everything. Of course. We'll put that aside as unworthy of our time. But let's start down the line with the first of the four. As it relates to math education, what evidence to you suggest that math will or won't be completely automated? Yeah, I think you've really got to just understand what students are doing in a class and how a teacher supports that work to understand that an AI chatbot is not going to completely automate that work. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the I mean, that's the main form factor right now. Right. Like at some point we might embed these AI agents in some kind of like humanoid thing that's indistinguishable from a human teacher. But let's just for right now deal with the world as it is. Um, and I, like here's where here's what I want to try out with you is yeah. to say that um, students are in a classroom to answer two big questions, one of which everyone, technologist or teacher, would agree chatbots aren't going to answer. And one of which I think teachers and technologists would agree chatbots can help answer. Mm. And let's see what happens with this here. One question is, how do I do this stuff? How do I solve the equations? How do I graph the thing? How do I do the content of the discipline? Mm. And the other question is, who am I? Mm. Who are we? Like, really big existential identity oriented questions. Do I have value here? So there's these two questions, right? And I think I would go to the most committed AI technologists and say, and they would say to me, yeah, you, you should not type like what value do I have or who am I into the chatbot? We'd agree there. And the teacher and technologist would both agree that like you could actually like type in like how do I how do I solve an equation with one variable mm -hmm. and or this equation? And the chatbot would give you something fairly sensible. But where we where the technologist needs to what they need to understand is this is that those two questions are the same question for many, many students. The older you get, the more those questions are different questions, the mm -hmm. more you have your identity established and well understood, and they are separable, those two questions. But for very young students, those questions are the same question. And so you can't ask the student to separate them. It doesn't 
work that way. They are when they are asking the teacher, how do I solve this or how do I do this thing? That's a question about do I have value here? Are my ideas valuable? Is someone who looks like me capable of doing good work here? Hmm. The chatbot can't won't answer that. And that's that's the main impediment. That difference right there is the main impediment to these chatbot agents transforming education in the K-12 space. Uh, that's, that's why they won't automate teaching, because the teacher has the social capital. The teacher has the money, the, the, the social money to give to students every day when a kid comes to class. And I say, it is great to see you. Can't wait to see how you're thinking today about things. Mm. That is a transfer of social value from the teacher to the student. Mm. And, and that happens from student to student as well. The chatbot does not have any money. The chatbot has no social currency, no social capital mm. to transfer to the student and give them the value they are looking for. Mm. I love that idea. I also saw the graph that you made of this idea in one of your pieces where there was there was kind of like the hockey stick of, um, and I have to admit, uh, I had questions about it because I didn't, I didn't fully understand. Um, I, I will put the graph in the show notes, obviously, and we can, we can talk more about it. But there, the left-hand side had an arrow pointing to a band that said, this is not school. And yeah, I didn't understand yeah. what that was. Yeah. The point of that graph was that like AI is good for the really small questions. The chatbots are good for small questions. How do I graph this? How do I solve that? What's my mistake here? Um, that's the small stuff, but that small stuff is not the, school. Um, the, the, yeah, the hype, the hype, the hype masters think that that is school. Um, and they, I, I spent time thinking about why this is the case. I've yeah. made some generalizations, perhaps unfairly. Um, I've known a lot of nerds. I have been a nerd at one point. Now I am very cool and not a nerd anymore. <laughs> but Agreed. this idea, this idea that like a lot of the folks that are building this tech, I don't think like had as much use for the social mm. context of schooling. In many cases, they were like much smarter than their peers, much more academically oriented, smarter than their teachers in some cases. I, do, I don't think there is quite as much value. A lot of them have not put as much value on the social context of learning. They think of learning as these atomized skills that one must learn. They imagine students as these little thumb drives that you like plug into something and perform some right operations on in order to give them those skills. But yeah. that's just like, not, that's not what students are doing for 12 years, you know, 180 hours a year of their only childhood. They're trying to figure out who they are, who we are. How do you estimate that that person who is not a real person, we're obviously, we're, we're like, we're generalizing a little bit and we're kind of, we're imagining yeah. of the viewpoint of someone, uh, but how do you imagine that that person thinks about why calculators didn't make math class irrelevant? Why do some people feel like this machine is different? Again, these claims of transformation, fundamental transformation, have been you know have built been built onto every new technology dating back hundreds of years, including radio, including TV, um, and I think that it. The question to ask ourselves is, is like, what incentives are in place that encourage people to believe that this year teachers are not necessary? Mm. This is the year 
that we do away with teachers. And no one would, none of them would ever say that. None of them would ever right. say that, like, we're trying to replace teachers. They, A, they know better. B, they don't really believe it. But they do see themselves in the position of having developed something that um, transforms the, the work in a fundamental way. And I would just say that a huge part of it is, like, like I mentioned, how we have socialized, how we socially think about teachers, again, yeah. as this like a feminized role that's under skill, those who can't do teach, like this is all in the air, the, the water we swim in. There's like anti-labor sentiment where teachers are the, the biggest labor union in the United States. So to whatever degree we are propagandized to think worse of laborers, we think worse of teachers. So that's there on one side. And then on the side of the technologists, there's so much like right now is a, in the Silicon Valley where I live, it's very hard to get venture capitalists to sign big checks. Hmm. Like back when interest rates are low, were low, it was very easy to get big checks for whatever you were doing. Now it's hard because interest rates are high. Um, and so the pressure is immense, much more immense than it was, to claim I have a thing that you should hmm. write a big check for. And I, I'm, this sounds like the sociology and e economics of the work might sound boring to some, but it is now the way I think about this work, realizing the incentives that are at play that make people believe what they what they believe, myself included, you included. Like we are not coming to our ideas honestly in a vacuum. You know, we are all socialized and conditioned and incentivized to believe mm. different things. Mm. Agreed about you, not me. <laughs> I, 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 have I should, no, shouldn't speak about you. Yeah, I have no influences. <laughs> so you wrote recently. Yeah, where, do you, where do you go with that? Where, where does yeah, that, where does yeah, that take yeah I totally distracted myself on that. I, I, I put myself, I put us into a cul-de-sac there with that one. I, I just to more, answer more directly. Yeah. Like every new technology is a new chance to, it's a, it's a new lotto scratcher. You know, it's a new chance to scratch it off and yeah. see like, do I have all the cherries right there? You know? So like, but we, we should do more to hold people accountable to say, hey, like, you know, I don't know. There's people who made claims about videos yeah. being the thing. Like, I, I remember I remember what. Yeah, go ahead. Like what happened to the videos or like yeah. automated exercises, personalized learning. Like yeah. why didn't that transform things the way you said it did? Like people yeah. should be asked to account for the failures of their previous predict predictions. Yeah. What I was gonna, what I was thinking when when uh, I brought myself off on a tangent, I was gonna ask you what you think about a computer science degree requiring one course in sociocultural learning theory. Like, if you're gonna work in ed tech, you take one course. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, is that I, all? I, is that all it would take? Do you think? I yeah, feel like no. maybe that's all <laughs> no. it would take. Here's here's what I think with tons of bias is that at, at Desmos and now Amplify, we have made technology understands the social context of learning. It does not seek to it does something very different. And we are, have always been and may always be in a position to have to justify why this is different. It mm. is it envisions the teacher and student and technology in an ongoing dialogue, not in a turn by turn kind of role. Mm. Like, OK, students do tech for a day and I'll check in tomorrow. Um, it's 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 very different. And that's all I want to say about it. And I think better, obviously. But the reason why we were able to make it a huge reason is that the engineering team that we had at Desmos, one, uh, we hired a ton of teachers, like way more than most uh, technology firms. Like half of our staff was like 
or formerly full-time teachers, not contractors, full-time employees at Desmos. And the other was that our engineering team, more than half of them were formerly full-time teachers. Mm. And if you add into that group the people who were related by marriage or blood to a full-time teacher, you get almost to 100%. Mm-hmm. And that's so like one class, like great, but what you really need are allergies. Like you don't need like one class so much as you need an allergic reaction, like your your body rejecting what you see. You need, you need to love students, uh, capital L, love students and love math and love the work to such a degree that when you see a thing that undermines that love, mm. you have an allergic antibody-like reaction to it. And what one course no. is not going to cut it next to a company offering you, you know, 225k plus an equity package to you know send lecture videos to students instantaneously yeah just let that sink in it kind of hurts uh especially when you talk about the salaries um (laughs) yeah you get paid to think a certain kind of way it's it's for sure it's real you almost it's like all the incentive you need to not develop the allergy even if you had the allergy it's a it's a uh it's a good way to, uh, it's like when, when, uh, you know, I ask my own children to, uh, drink a glass of milk and they're like, no, oh, no, I have a, I'm very sensitive to dairy. And then I'm like, let's go get ice cream. And they're like, yes, ice cream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somehow you find your way around. Like that. what yeah, happened you... to the allergy? Yeah. Weird. That's weird. Um, okay. That's so you wrote recently about the media coverage in New York times about Khan Academy's new tutoring platform. To what extent do you feel we're any closer to strong math tutors using AI? I I like what the Khan Academy tutor does. There's one thing I like a lot about it, which is the previous iterations of these tools, and, and Khan Academy included, if you got the answer wrong, it would say you're wrong. Mm. It would say it nicely. It would say, like, you're not right yet or not quite. It would say it nicely, but, like, fundamentally, you're wrong. And the work of teaching is to discover what is right about the wrong answers. Like mm-hmm. that is fundamentally like developing a curiosity about wrong answers, a love for them, an understanding of, of how they relate to each other, and an ability to identify what is right about them is just like the work of teaching and tutoring. And so what the new Conmigo did when I tried it out was that I got an answer wrong. That's what I always do with new technology in math is get a thing wrong mm-hmm. and see what it does with it. And it like said, oh, what you might have been thinking about was this. And indeed, that is what I was thinking about. And I thought that was cool. Um, so that's really exciting to me. The The challenge, though, is when when is it used? At what point does a student want to shut out the social context mm. and to engage with a box inside of a box, mm. a text input box inside of their laptop box? And because students are so interested in the question, who am I? Who are we? What is my relationship to all of this? Their interest in shutting out that social context and engaging one-on-one with the box in a box is very low. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to everyone listening who is a technologist developing these things. It is just very low. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the main inhibitor. It's a great, it, it could be a great tutor, but people won't want to use it in classes. Mm. And then, so you look outside of class, when people, when that social context isn't there, you're in a room by yourself, there is no one to shut out. That's a promising moment 
But the issue is that the students who have the resources, the time, the attention, um, you know, they're not taking care of siblings, they're not working a second job, um, they have bandwidth, they have a laptop. Th those kids who could use that chatbot outside of school are the kids least likely to need extra tutoring. Mm -hmm. So all of this draws me to the conclusion, if you want to help the kids who need help, you need to do it in the classes that they are legally obliged to attend and do it in a way that works with the social context rather than without the social context. Yeah. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. Mm. I think that's so important. I think what you what what image popped into my mind was was the like who in my class had the nicest calculator, like the nicest Texas instruments, Bingo. like, Bingo. and those were not the kids who like me were struggling in algebra. Um, those were the kids who were crushing it. And in fact, like they were not in, they would, they wouldn't have been in my class, but uh, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother uh, therapy session we'll have. Um. But I think what you said is so important. And it actually, I had a moment where I started to reflect on my past year where my own uh, child, 10 years old, um, learns with uh, dyslexia. And she actually asked in my time, I couldn't even imagine having done this to my parents, but she actually came home one day and said, I think I'd, she's 10. That's important context. I think I'd really like to have a math tutor. We're like, nice. Wow. Um, okay. Like we, and thinking about the benefits of what that person has brought to her, um, and how much of that is social, how much of that is this yes, other person yes. being so aware and in tune with like with what my child was going through in that moment where she was feeling low confidence, she was feeling, yep. I'm great at this, I'm not great at that, like all of those things and how well the human did at kind of bringing her back to a place where she felt like she could function in that space. I, I'm... I can't believe that in writing these questions, knowing I was going to talk to you, that that didn't pop into my mind. But as you were giving me that example, uh, that's exactly where my head went. It was like, what are you thinking? Like, this was such an yeah. important piece of your own child's life. Yeah, I feel embarrassed for having even been as sanguine as I was back there, you know, about the use case of alone in a room, which right. I think is where the chatbot, the AI chatbot will do, will see better use, more use than in classes. But I do think, like, I've had this thought recently. I would love to find some way to do this. I just want to, like, show, I think we need we need more images of what tutors do. Mm. Like, and then to compare that same kid with a chatbot. I had a conversation yesterday. I called up a tutor uh, in the local area. Her name is uh, Jane Olavsky, and she specializes in a relational kind of tutoring. And I just, we talked about her work and the difference between her descriptions and what happens in these chatbots is just it's just immense. And I say that knowing that the chatbots actually present a fairly empathetic tone. The chatbots, like they present a very positive tone. Mm. I, I'm really impressed by it. I, I think it's 
it's impressive and it's also just vastly different than this idea she presented where like some days we're not going to do much math. Mm. We're going to look at some interesting videos and create a connection together. Or sometimes I got to feel out like, is this a moment where I'm going to like actually just explain it? Or is this student, you know, a half second away from a realization I don't want to step on? Because when that student has that realization and I say, yes, you've got it. There is that transfer of social currency, that that confidence that is built, and just that that just feels so, like we can talk about how like this is a free fit. The chatbot is free, and relative to nothing, it is better than nothing. I'm on board there, but we we just need to have a, a realistic view and not like undervalue what humans do mm-hmm. of, of this. What you're describing with with your kid, um, it's just such important work. So, so let's go on. So the next thing on the, on the list from uh, ChatGPT is assessment. So I talked a little bit about this in my conversation with the CEO at ETS recently, who had some exciting ideas about the future of assessment. But um, from your perspective, are there benefits to the math educator or student related to AI and assessment? Yeah, I think assessment is like generally a fallen medium, like the assessment has so many thorns attached to it. The ways that assessments have yeah. culturally cultural biases encoded in them, the way that they often assess what is easy for computers to evaluate rather than what is actually valuable in the discipline. It's not a social space. Assessments are often just individualized. You are taking an assessment yourself. So I feel much less, uh, I don't know, concern's the wrong word. I'm not really concerned about AI encroaching on the social space. It just, it'll, it'll be bounced out of there like a, a, a bad cold, like an allergy. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, in terms of like item generation, um, in terms of assessment of those items, I don't know. There's probably some interesting opportunities there. Yeah. What What are your thoughts about the idea that AI reduces bias in some way? I I find that idea pretty specious. Like AI, like these chatbots, they they ingest giant corpuses of of human language from particular sources of human language that are all digital and therefore are constrained to folks who have resources to you know use those devices um so that that voice and the ideas in it they come from a a particular context i I don't think that it does i think it does the opposite of um of reducing bias and there's smarter people than me um, Tim Gebru from the Hugging Face group, uh, Margaret Mitchell, they've done a lot of really strong thinking about this. Nice. Yeah. And I will, uh, I, th- I think that a lot of educators, this is a missing piece of their understanding about how these models work and, and um, realizing that they're operating on what it's fed. So let's imagine that there are only two, you know, two texts to feed a language model um, and one is the Bible and, you know, the other is a Stephen King book. There we um, go. Uh, it's essentially the equivalent of saying like, yes, we're going to reduce bias. Uh, we've fed it these two books. Um, so clearly they must be, uh, you know, e- exactly the perspective that is going to, going to level uh, our human bias. Um, I'm not not buying it, and I I honestly don't really get the get the interest there. I don't I don't understand. Um, I think that thinking that it might eliminate or reduce bias to me pronounces a general misunderstanding about uh, how how digital systems 
generally work right now, um, and which is alarming in in other ways. A partial understanding, certainly. There is this sense that, like, the computer executes instructions the same way every time without respect to the person who is doing the execute or, or initiating that execution. Therefore, no bias. But it, in this case, it is executing instructions about a giant cauldron of words that does contain, you know, 52 percent uh, bias, 20 percent Stephen King, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. So the last one to me is probably the one that to you will you'll find to be such a basic discourse that it seems silly to talk about. But we've been talking about how machines do and don't influence critical thinking. I don't know how far back that goes, but obviously we've brought it up a little bit. Calculators, uh, you know, um, I'm sure somebody argued that the candle was going to uh, – overtake our uh, our education system at some point. So mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. the real worry here, do you think? I think this one's an, an interesting one to, to talk about personally. There's It's not as simple as I would wish it was, but like back when um, Google was invented, people, there's a, lot, a line of thinking that was like, just have kids Google it. Like we don't need to teach knowledge anymore, but the act of Googling or typing something into chat GPT, the act of interpreting what comes out of Google, evaluating it, the act of interpreting the results from chat GPT, all of that requires enormous background knowledge that the more background knowledge you have, the more knowledge you can get. So this line of thinking, uh, like critical thinking and background knowledge, they are tightly related and we can't just outsource Oftentimes, I, I see this in the reverse. I don't think that ChatGPT got this right, honestly. Uh, I think AI is off is seen as a potential substitute for background knowledge, mm. not uh, enabling teachers just to focus on critical thinking rather than as a, a substitute for critical thinking. And uh, for the reasons I've I've suggested, like background knowledge and critical thinking both have a, a really tight relationship, and indeed one enables the other. Yeah, I, I hear both. I usually hear. This one that ChatGPT uh, brought to us by ChatGPT, I-, I hear from parents like these kids. You know, these kids aren't going to f- be thinking anymore. You know, like um, uh, which uh, I I I sort of get the fear, but I think it's as much um, blanket, f- you know, technophobia than than uh, anything worth really fearing. They're seeing kids just transcribe the results from the AI agent into their essay or their answer and not critically thinking is, is perhaps where that's coming from. Yeah. It, it's a little bit of that. I have an allergy personally to the uh, kids these days refrain. And uh, I think that it, it has a little bit to do with the kids these days refrain. Here's my favorite question I wanted to ask you, which is what else is exciting you right now? Are there things that AI is distracting us from right now in the realm of math education that you think is more newsworthy? I am always looking for technology that increases the social connection between teachers and students, students and students that use that relationship for learning mathematics. Um, Computers can show us really interesting things that, that provoke thought. They can let you try things out in ways that you can't on paper. Um, and so I'm, I, at this point, I, I'm just, that's what I'm looking for. Um, something that, that treats students as something other than, you know, hard drives, 
that wear pants, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I'm excited to think about teacher development, how to help teachers see students through a lens of value rather than deficits. There are teachers who just like, look at you and all, uh, look at me and all of my faults and development and see something valuable. Mm. And those experiences are transformative. And I'm excited to think about how we can develop those teachers rather than, you know, breed them. Like they're, they're not, they're, they're made, they're not born. Mm. And so I'm, I'm excited to think more about that. And there are some interesting professional learning startups out there. Teach FX is a group that's using AI mm. um, for teacher development ends. And that's pretty exciting to me. I got my eye on them. Outstanding. Um, so I want everybody to uh, check you out. Uh, MathWorlds is danmeyer.substack.com. Hit me up. That's uh, and I will. I will say I don't think anybody's going to confuse me for a um, a math geek, uh, which I say in the most endearing. I'm a geek in many other ways. Um, I don't. I don't think people are going to mistake me for a math geek, but. I will say that it is one of my most recommended uh, newsletters to other educators and colleagues who I know are working in this space. Um, and it's it's very much because of uh, your authenticity and sticking to the things that you care about and talking about these things through that lens. And so I have so appreciated your work, Dan, and I always appreciate your time. And I hope uh, I hope this was a worthwhile uh, hour for us to work out some of these ideas and I hope you'll come back and, and uh, keep, keep iterating. Always a pleasure, Mark. Thank you. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser. A learner like you and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.